Hey everyone, today's guest is Amina Pasha, the CMO of Thrive Market. With more than a decade of experience in marketing, followed by a pivotal role at The Honest Company, Amina serves as the safeguard of brand and performance marketing at the mission-driven e-commerce powerhouse, Thrive Market. She's been tasked with humanizing the online grocery store's mission. She is integrating the 40-plus marketing team to drive a clear story across every member touchpoint. Under her watch, the company has reaped over 1 million members and in 2020 was recognized as the largest grocer to ever receive B Corp certification. We had an incredible talk about how she's managed her personal life and her professional life and the sacrifices she had to do to make all of that possible. Take a listen. Amina, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you today. I have so many questions. You have a fascinating background. So excited that you're here today. Me too. I'm super excited that you had me and uh, honored to be here. So you, you've been in consumer goods for some time. You were recently listed in Forbes annual CMO Next 2021 as one of the country's top marketing chiefs. Um, what led you to this arena? Um, so many things. I felt it was like an you know accumulation of my entire career, um, starting from you know uh, P and G, where I spent a lot of time doing more classical brand building and traditional marketing, but then making some really nonlinear moves to honest, and then you know in the last three years to Thrive Market, and I think the Thrive Market role in particular just catapulted the way I thought about marketing. And it really was about um, mission, um, the brand, and the difference a mission-born brand can make uh, to not just the consumer, but to the real industry. And I think the impact that we were making, and I can't take credit for it. I mean, honestly, when I won that award, yes, I got it. But it was recognition of the years of effort that we had been putting in to Thrive Market from starting the company which the founders did in 2014 the right way, thinking about how to do the business, not just what to do in the business. And so, you know, everything from having a zero waste policy to being carbon neutral and now on a path to carbon negative, uh, to thinking about plastic neutrality and sustainability, all while we were trying to make healthy living easy, affordable and accessible and providing, you know, incredible organic and sustainable products. And so when you think about the impact we were having, you know, not just in what we were doing, but importantly, how we were doing it, how we were communicating that to our members and bringing it along the journey with them. I think that is what really, you know, got us the award. And I say us because, you know, it's not just me. It was really in recognition of what we were doing to redefine uh, the healthy grocery space. And so, yeah, that it was accumulation of everything I had learned to everything we had done at Thrive Market to get that um, award. That's an incredible milestone and achievement. And I think clearly you have an interest in not only being a CMO, but, you know, with your pivotal role at The Honest Company and now Thrive, health is something that I'm going to assume is important to you. So what made you want to pursue, you know, mission-led brands versus, hey, let me just go work anywhere and take the money and run? You know, that's, a, that's an incredible story. Um, so it's, it's a really bizarre one. So I actually was on maternity leave and I have to credit um, my son. I think when you have 
your child, it does start, you know, it really makes you start questioning the choices you've made in life. And I remember I had been in P&G for over a decade. I'd been on every big brand. I had worked on big budgets. I had made big impact. And, you know, I started thinking, wow, I could do this for another 10, 15 years and I can settle and be very, very comfortable financially. And I just felt this gnawing thing that this wasn't right for me. This was not what I was meant out to do. And I didn't want to spend the next 15 years, nothing, nothing to discredit P&G, but I just felt there was something bigger out there for me. But I also was, you know, very aware that I didn't want to go into something radically different where I couldn't add value. It had to be someplace where I could bring the learning lessons from my career. I could add a lot of value, but I could also learn. And my son had, he had just catapulted all of this decision-making in me that I was um, three, a three month, I had a three month old baby when I got the phone call um, to come down and interview at The Honest Company. And I literally was like, I have a three month old baby. How am I going to do this? And I just said, you know what? An inner voice again told me, just do it, just go for it. So I actually left my son and that was the first time I had ever left him. And it literally felt like leaving my arm behind because I was like, oh my God, I just had this newborn and I'm getting on a plane and I'm pumping on this flight and I'm going on an interview to meet, you know, Jessica Alba, the new CEO and everybody. And I did it. And when I came back, I just, again, felt this like gnawing feeling in my tummy that this was the right thing to do. And believe it or not, um, we had just bought a house. We had just renovated the house. I had spent nine months. Um, it was like the biggest project outside of work I was doing with my husband. I think I'd driven him crazy to make this house like perfect. It started with like a kitchen renovation, went over the entire house. And here I was telling him, oh my God, I've gotten this opportunity, but it's in LA. And we were living in Cincinnati at that time, which was the headquarters of P&G. And he was literally looking at me. It's like, you just bought a house. We just put our roots here. We just decided we're going to be here for, ne- for the next four or five years. And we had a playground and everything. It was the most emotional decision um, I had to make. But I just looked at myself and I said, I'm never going to get the perfect opportunity at the perfect time. And so I went and I took this role. And my husband was incredible. He was like, just go for it and don't look back. I will tell you, I looked back for six months. It was the most hardest transition Um, Not just work-wise, but emotionally, because I had this young baby and I suddenly couldn't spend all this time with him. I had to get help. I had to have my mom come. I had to have my mother-in-law come. So we had like a whole family helping me just because I had to make this career move. And I also left my house and I was suddenly in like, you know, random places. We were looking for housing. It took us a very long time to get settled. My son was unsettled and I kept telling myself, did I make the right choice? And, you know, now when I look back, 1000%, you know, LA was such a good move, not just from that career move, but also from a life move, which was something I wanted to do. We had so many friends and family here. He has three or four of his, you know, closest friends. They all were born in the same year and they've all been growing up together. And he has that sense of community and it's so much more multicultural here, which was really important. So it's a really long story, but like that, that career move was, you know, really essential while difficult um, and painful. Um, it was, it was a very, very important and pivotal point in my career. So let's talk about that time. Six months is a really long time to be questioning, did I make the right move? You know, what the hell was I thinking? Plus you have the hormones, the new baby, the first baby, which is its own special set of circumstances. So 
how did you keep going during that time? And what did you sort of keep telling yourself was like, okay, if I can just make it to, is it, was it six months? Did you give yourself a year? What was going through your head at the time? Yeah, I mean, honestly, my husband will say it was probably longer than six months now when I look back. Um, to be honest, I think I woke up every day having a panic attack. Every single day, I, I woke up just feeling like, like, oh my God, this is overwhelming. This is a real, like, you know, if you think about it, stepping back, I changed everything except my husband and my son. They were the only two constants in my life. I had changed um, cities. I had changed jobs. I had changed managers, childcare everything was was different you know and then i was a new mom as as well which was great in in terms of business because i was on you know the on honest beauty and baby business but also really really hard because i was separated you know from my child during the entire workday and they were not short workdays i'll be honest uh we worked during the week we even had to work during the weekends it was definitely not easy we were in the midst of again a very similar turnaround story there were product issues there were business challenges and i had to you know really work and really understand the business as well so what was going through my head was i have made this choice and one of my mentors had told me once you make a decision you cannot go back you know you just have to go forward as hard and as painful as it is you can't keep looking back um, as to what you left or what you lost, you have to look to what you're building, what you're doing, and find a deeper meaning on why you're doing this. And I kept going back to, I was doing this for my family. I was doing this for my son and I had to do this. Like I just had to keep going. And, you know, you start learning how to deal with the stress and the anxiety of it. You get better at it with time. And at some point, you know, we actually, I think it was like eight or nine months in and ended up selling our house. And that was our way of saying goodbye to that life. Like we had to get closure and, you know, letting go of the house, which was also the place where my son was born and everything had happened. He had his first nursery there. It was a way of just saying goodbye. Like you have to find that, you know, kind of way of putting it to closure so that you can focus. And, uh, and I gave my commitment. I said, I'm going to give it all I have. I have to make this work now. We have no other choices. My husband had also, uh, by that time, settled into his career. So his career was also working. And so we both said, like, look, our life is great here. The jobs are going to be tough the first year. Um, and we have a child. So our life in general is going to be tough. And uh, we got through it. And, you know, at that time, like you said, it feels like a very long time. But now when I look back, I'm like, I learned so much during that time. I learned so much about myself. Um, I tested myself um, from a career perspective because, you know, I'd spent so many years working on brands that were established, that were already iconic. And here I was trying to learn and understand how to build an iconic brand, how to make it iconic, how to drive that awareness amongst consumers. Very different uh, business challenges to have. And we had to do all that foundational thinking, which was, you know, tough, but also fun. It was incredibly fun. And it was an incredible vertical learning experience for me. Um, and the last bit of advice was, you know, there's there's so much you can tell yourself that I just don't know this. I have never done this. I had never done DTC or e-commerce, zero. I had zero experience in DTC commerce. Sometimes I'm like, why did they hire me? But I didn't spend my time listening to those demons. I told myself, okay, what do I know? I know beauty. I know baby. I know what's wrong with this diaper. I know where we need to go. And I focused on the things that I knew versus constantly telling myself, I don't know this. How am I going to get through this? 
And that shift is really important. Any role you take, it's so easy to start focusing on what you don't know and completely forget about all the things you know. And it's usually the things you know that are going to get you to solve those problems faster while you're learning on the things you don't know. And so those two big insights really, you know, got me through um, that kind of tough, tough period. And it really, I think, has made me so much more thick skinned. I mean, thick skin is an understatement. (laughs) I feel like you took on the world uh, all at once. And, and, you know, having had not, like you mentioned, no experience in those categories. So let's talk about what it takes to build, like you said, a brand, Um, whether it's Honest or now with Thrive. You know, you are competing with companies that have zillions of dollars, although they don't move as fast and or more money doesn't equal an easier time sometimes, but they can, you know, outspend on marketing. So how have you sort of taken both of these companies and made them stand out in such an incredible way when you're, when you're not this, you know, billion dollar, whatever, toxic diaper brand that I don't know if I should say, cause I don't want to get sued or the billion dollar, <laughs> you know, uh, grocery store chain that might be trying to sell healthy food. It isn't healthy and is not sustainable. Um, Correct. Yeah, no. <laughs> I think, look, always I had a very, my boss at PNG would would often call me um, my non-linear brain. I, I do think you have to be entrepreneurial. And what does entrepreneurial mean? You have to be able to think differently. And you have to be able to think out of the box. Because if you're going to think in the box and you're going to do what everybody else is going to be doing, you're just not going to stand out. And that's also not what a mission, you know, born brand is. And so a lot of these big brands are, you know, backing into a mission. They're trying to like come up with, okay, how do I tie on to something? But consumers see through that. They're smarter and savvier and so much more hardwired to social media um, that they see everything. They see your values. They see your character. They understand what you're doing. Also what you're not doing, what you're saying and what you're doing, if they don't match up, consumers see through it. And so the first thing, and I did it at both brands, the process is very similar is you know, who is your consumer and what is your brand story? And at, uh, at Thrive, we knew our consumer as this wellness champion, as this conscious consumer. And believe it or not, I actually started working on the brand book even before I got the job offer at Thrive Market. Maybe this is off the record, but I was, you know, interviewing with the CEO, Nick Green. We were going back and forth. He was working the brand book. He'd never worked on a brand book. So he was asking my opinion and I was just telling him, like, you know, this is what I think. And um, and I felt like in the brand book that we're working, the mission wasn't coming forefront. So I brought the mission all to the forefront. And I spent a lot of time understanding how the company started. Like, why did these four founders come together? What was it in their backgrounds, in their childhood upbringing, which was, you know, most of them lived in the Midwest, like Nick and Gunnar. And they talked, both of them talked about their mom and how they, mom really put all this effort to get healthy on the table, but it was a struggle. It was located far. It was expensive. It was not convenient. Healthy living was not easy. And so that started becoming the basis of our, our brand story of how do we break that mold and make healthy living all the things that, you know, if you've searched on Google, what organic pops up tells you it's, it's not and use it as myth busters, you know, so Google will tell you organic's expensive and you can't access it. And you have stores like, you know, Erwan and even Whole Foods now where the pricing is getting really high. And we really started thinking about how do we do it differently? Healthy living should not be a privilege. It really should be a priority. 
But to make it a priority, we have to make it accessible. We have to make it affordable. We have to make it easy. And we are e-commerce. Our role should be to make it easy. And that brand story started coming together in terms of what our values were, who our brand persona was. We spent a lot of time thinking about who we want to be. And you know where we landed was a trusted partner because I said, I don't want us to be a trusted friend because your friend may not have that education or awareness in the healthy space. And I don't want to be a trusted like institution. Like We want to be still informal. We want to still be able to connect with you. And so we landed on being a trusted partner. And that brand persona ties everything we do together. And so once the brand strategy was really, really clear, you know, we use it as like an onboarding mechanism. In fact, I did trainings like every month for not just marketing, but really importantly, the whole company needs to be part of this brand and mission and understand it to its core and DNA. And not only did we do that brand onboarding and training, but we also used, you know, a lot of those values for how we interview people. And so, you know, this is a real big aha, but when you're running a a mission-driven brand or company, you know, you can get two people in the room that are both equally qualified, but what fundamentally separates them is the, you know, passion to the mission. And when we don't feel it in the interview, we know that person's not going to come in and go the extra mile. And so we make sure through the interview process, we're also bringing in people who are coming in to really be a force to be reckoned with because to your point we don't have the budget we don't have you know that kind of room to be outspending our competition we're going to have to be working really uphill most of the way and we're going to have to be doing things differently but these people come in with this dna and they are truly incredible heroes that make things happen you know um the the last year just seeing each of our fulfillment centers uh, get zero waste certified and getting, you know, medals above each other, taking learnings from each fulfillment center to improve the next one. I mean, these, these people are the real heroes. They're on home ground. They're there. They're packing the boxes. They're getting it out. You know, we check every single box is hand packed. It's just, it's, it's incredible to see these people working, um, and getting these recognitions and awards. And it really does take a village of these heroes who we call our thrivers. Uh, to build this mission-driven, iconic brand and do the things we do in our way, in our Thrive way that helps us, you know, differentiate versus competition. And so in many ways, we're not we're not anti any of our competitors, but we're kind of, we call ourselves like the un, the un version of like some of our other players. And so instead of putting one or two things and shipping to you in 24 hours, we will ship to you as quickly as we can, but in a carbon neutral way. And we'll make sure there's at least eight or nine products so that, you know, it qualifies for our carbon neutrality policy. And it's it's those things which our members come back and tell us, we love that you do this, you know, and then each box has like a, a, a name on it that is handwritten. So you know exactly who touched your box too. And it's a way of just humanizing our brand. And so every single detail we do, we think through like, what is the Thrive way of doing this? How have we built a trusted partner? But it all starts with the brand and the mission and getting that right first. And if you don't, spend that time up front, really understanding the consumer and the brand, you can you just cannot cascade it across the company and organization. So very long answer, but that's 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 how you do it. No, I love that long answer. It was really thorough and I think that it helps to understand how you think differently because obviously that what that's what makes all the difference with with everyone's role. Um, and not just going, well, it's too hard. Well, you know, they don't want to do that. And I face sustainability issues with my company all the time. Like my factories refuse to not use styrofoam in the bags. 
you know, to protect the hardware. And it's the most maddening conversation. And you're just like, I just want no styrofoam, please. And then they said, (laughs) well, then we're not responsible if your consumer is angry that the hardware scratched. And I'm like, cool. I don't know how to solve this issue. (laughs) So I, I love that you, you have really held the company and yourself to such a high standard. It's very admirable. Thank you. No, it's, 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 it's been amazing to see what, uh, what all these thrivers, when you put them in a room can do in, in terms of, you know, solving those problems. Guys, I have a really good friend, Jacqueline Johnson, and she has an incredible podcast called Work Party. Serial entrepreneur, best-selling author, and founder is throwing out the rule book and bringing you real insights and hot takes on what is happening today in the world of business and beyond. Every week, Jacqueline gets down to business with some of the industry's leading female players from entrepreneurs and CEOs to mega influencers. Life moves so fast and so does she. Catch new episodes of the Work Party podcast on Wednesdays. So what would you say it takes to be a modern marketer in a world that is changing so fast? You know, there's a new headline every day, there's new apps, there's new social media platforms. The customer, I feel like, you know, is bombarded. So how have you sort of adapted to maintain relevancy? Yeah. I mean, I think it it goes back to really understanding your consumer and their consumption habits, like where where are they consuming knowledge and news about you and really, you know, spending time with them qualitatively, but also looking at data, looking at trends, um, what's happening in your space, you know, even things like we go to the expo every year because we just learn so much on what's happening on the competitive landscape. What are the new products coming out? Just being the first step to me is being ruthlessly in touch with your consumer. Um, you need to know them inside and outside. You need to know everything on like what they like, don't like, their psychographics, um, you know, what channels they're on. I mean, for us, what's been really interesting um, over the past, I'd say like six to eight months, we have actually seen a growth, a massive growth in younger consumers because we have been, you know, really uh, scaling TikTok and Meta. And so, We've been looking at like, you know, A, how do we get these consumers, but B, also these channels that are growing so fast. Like TikTok has become, you know, a new search algorithm. And that's just the way these consumers are consuming that form of media. And this now TikTok form or format has just become the new way of getting information. So like what was 15 years ago, a TV ad is now a TikTok or an Insta reel. And you have to really understand how these forms and formats work and how this consumer does have, for better or worse, a certain level of ADD. And so you literally have three seconds to grab their attention. Um, And so I have to say, you know, this modern marketing comes from actually having a team of modern marketers who are specialists in these areas. And so we've really brought in a a team, um, you know, under me who really, A, are TikTokers themselves. They're using the platform themselves avidly. They understand the consumer, but they also understand the creative best practices and not just the media. They're thinking about it holistically and they're thinking about like what are creative ways to like hook in this consumer and like explain to them the value of membership and being transparent. I remember like two or three years ago, we wouldn't talk about membership until you reached our landing page. And to me, that felt like 
wrong. It felt like when you're dating someone and they don't really tell who you are until like the third or fourth date. So I said, no, guys, we got to like talk about who we are up front. And it actually worked to our advantage because we are a membership. We do charge an annual fee of 60 bucks. It's five bucks a month. But why? Here's all the reasons, you know, whether it's the healthy, sustainable groceries or these new innovative products or the exclusive lineups that we have. Start giving people the reasons of why we're a membership and how we build community and what you're going to get here that's so unique and different. And that started really cutting through. And I think this level of transparency and being authentic from the first moment, you know, you meet the brand is so key in modern marketing. It's not about, okay, let's warm you up and get you ready and hopefully we can wing it. No, you have to be upfront and you have to explain to them why. And so it's, to me, it's like, you know, you need a team of modern marketers. It's not just, you know, the, the CMO or the leader who understand that transparency, who understand like, how do I help explain it in a way that it's going to grab someone's attention in two to three seconds and, and bring it, you know, and bring them and, and get them to really actually want to place that first order and just be excited the moment they get their first box. That first box experience has to be incredible. And so we, you know, back to your like other example, you have to be super creative even in how you get them in, but also how that unboxing experience happens. And I remember, you know, we wanted our box to also be fully recycled and recyclable. But it came with a lot of brand challenges. It required us, you know, to rethink the entire box, to take out a lot of the color and strip it. And there was a big concern, like, are we losing our brand by redesigning this whole box? And I said, no, we're not losing our brand. We're getting deeper in our brand DNA. Our box will look more sustainable. And it does. Like now when you get the new box, it is a single color. It's just green with the cardboard, but it looks sustainable. And it looks like some, it still looks edgy and cool. But it also reminds you that this box is good for the planet. And I think these messages we send across as a brand are important that we are we are willing to take a stand on certain things. It doesn't have to be this picture perfect brand. It has to be the brand that lives up to the right values and those values matter. And so to me, you know, that is what defines a modern marketer. It's thinking about your values through and through and being willing to make those tough calls and sacrifices because you know that sustainability is important to the to, to the DNA of the brand and you're willing to let go of the perfect color because you've got now the perfect box for the planet. And that's that's a bigger cause. And so those are some of the the ways I think about what a modern marketer is. I love it. I, I want to pick your brain offline <laughs> badly. <laughs> <laughs> so what would you say the biggest challenges or challenge you faced? You mentioned the one when you moved, you know, and started it on us after having your son. But now that you, I'm assuming he's what, five or six? Yeah, he's six. He's six. So now, you know, as a, as your kid is growing and less reliant on you, what has some of your bigger challenges been and what did you do to overcome it? You know, the challenges never end. I mean, last year, I'll tell you, was the hardest year of my life. And, you know, I mean, literally my son who was supposed to be, my second son who was supposed to be born the year prior, was supposed to be born in December of 21, refused to come out. You know, <laughs> even though it was supposed to be in use, it was like this whole nightmare and COVID had burst out. I couldn't even get myself into the hospital because they're like, there's, there's, you know, we only want women who are delivering induction is bottom of the line. And so eventually I went into labor. Of course it had to be New Year's Eve. I went into labor 
And my son came out on Jan 1st, you know, and and was like the first baby in the hospital. I was like, this is the most bizarre thing. But anyways, it happened. (laughs) So my son ended up being born um, last year, my second son um, on Jan 1st. And I don't know, after he was born, I thought I was having postpartum depression or something. I went straight back to work. It was honestly not that tough a transition because I just felt like I, I just didn't feel in the right place. And I didn't know then, but I felt like now I know I was probably having some sixth sense that something is going to happen. And it was tough. And, you know, it's my second kid. I went back to work six weeks in with a, you know, six week old, but it was not too tough because I was also working remotely and, and I had incredible uh, boss who was like, work how you want to. He never once asked me, what are my hours? What days am I working? I just worked as I could. And um, my son had barely turned four months old when um, I lost my father. And it was completely unexpected. I mean, I had literally spoken to him uh, the day before and he just told me he had this like dry cough. And immediately I was like, oh my God, he has COVID. You know, like we were, I guess we were all wired to think if somebody coughs, they must have COVID. Yep. And he certainly didn't have COVID. And I just had this sixth sense, something was wrong. I told my brother and the very next day um, I he passed away. And oh I remember... Yeah, I remember I came out of a board meeting. I mean, I literally finished a board meeting and I tried to figure out what's going on with my dad and I got somebody in there and and he must have passed away within like, you know, 20 minutes. I, I must have missed him by 20 minutes. And it was it was immediate devastation, completely shocked because you weren't prepared for it. And uh, of course, I flew over. He was in Connecticut and, you know, my mom came. It was, um, you know, my parents are separated. So my mom really came for me, which was just incredible. Um, and my brother came and I was, you know, I was just shocked. I was stunned. I think for like, um, seven straight days, I probably couldn't stop crying. And, um, and we had to go through the memorial. We had to go through all his things. We had to pack up all his things. I had to, I had to come back because I had a four month old baby. I was still breastfeeding. So, you know, trying to figure all that out, bringing his milk and he was exclusively breastfeeding, not even, you know, drinking any powder or milk and all of that. And so I had to come back and, oh my God, it was a sea of, of absolute chaos and barely dealt with that when in September, my mom felt deathly ill and she ended up with dengue and ended up with a low sodium, which is a very complicated problem in Pakistan. So I was back. I, and I told my brother, you fly. My brother flew away, but it reached such a critical point that I, I realized if I didn't go, this could be my second parent that I could lose this year. So I flew back and, you know, had to like basically help resuscitate my mom back to life, which was so profound because at that moment, I, I, you didn't even know which way this would go. And I genuinely believe us physically being there gave her the mental stamina to pull herself back but it was brutal. It was so mentally brutal. And I came back and, you know, a month or two passed and I was like, what has happened this year? You know, and I'm running by the way, this, you know, uh, you know, half a million dollar company with, with our executives too. So I've got this business, got these two kids, parents are going off. And my husband had, by the way, had surgery that week too, the week that I fly out to Pakistan. So, and I thought to myself, gosh, my team must be thinking, what is going on with her? So in November, I actually did an all hands uh, with my marketing team. And it was it was a difficult decision for me because I was like, should I share? Should I not? Is it too much to share? 
Um, am I going to react if I share? That's the other issue you have. Is like, if I start sharing, what if I go down this like rabbit hole? And, um, and I said, you know what? I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to talk about my year. Uh, not just because we always do like in November, I look back of, of our year at Thrive, which I did. But I also talked about my year. <laughs> because I was like, what happened this year? And, um, and you guys have seen, you've heard my, my father passed away. You've seen me flying back and forth to Pakistan. You're probably wondering what is going on in her life. And so I, I made this, this decision to explain to them what I was going through. And I did it because I realized that, you know, everybody is having a tough year or two during COVID. We, we all don't, we, we've all not had it perfect, let's face it. And people have lost people and people have been hurt and wounded. You know, there were, there were team members that had separated, they'd lost partners, um, you know, they'd lost grandparents, you know, and we, none of us were talking about these things at that time, you know, and it was always like, focus on the business, focus on being positive, you know. And I talked about the loss I had faced this year and, and how, you know, both my parents, um, my dad had been such an incredible mentor to me. I mean, he had throughout my life been such a champion. I, I think I got promoted to CMO because of my dad. My dad pushed me, you know, in the, in the end, like, you got to go back. You got to go like, push for your career. And I remember him saying that to me uh, because as women, sometimes we don't push as hard enough. You know, we think it'll happen. Nothing happens. You've got to keep, you know, fighting for yourself. You have to believe in yourself. And um, I shared with my team to really just humanize that I'm not the perfect leader, that I, I was wounded, I fell down. And by the way, my you know, leadership team carried the fort while I was down. They had to step up. They had to manage while I was away or distracted or wounded. And I think that's what a great team does is they step in and they step up and ab above and beyond and they lead. And you know, the whole marketing team led, even though I was hurt and wounded and they, they kept marching forward you know, and, and kept beating the goals and kept us resilient. And the other reason why I shared about how I felt with losing my dad is because we were at a cusp in the company at that pivotal moment where we started also realizing we were doing too much. And, you know, Nick pioneered this whole new, you know, I was talking about less is more, but he took it to a next level. And he was like, less is less. Let's do really less for less. <laughs> we don't need to do more for more. We are, we are burning ourselves out. We got to go less for less. And my dad had um, written me this letter when I was 27 years old, you know, and totally wasted this knowledge on me, I, I have to say. And my mom found this letter and, you know, she, she brought it back for me and I shared it. And, and if you're cool with it, I'll share it with you um, as well. And my dad wrote, you know, life changes at 27. You may also have some tough decisions ahead. I have learned nothing in life is completely good or completely bad. You have to balance things. Often, as the saying goes, less is more. I wish you the best of everything in life. Knowing you are happy will always make me happy where you are. And it tied so well to how we were thinking about the business that I felt it was worth sharing, you know, across my team. And them realizing, you know, each word he put in there was just so profound. When I looked at it now, like in my 40s versus in my 20s, I didn't even understand this, this concept of balancing and how profound that is. And I remember after I lost my dad, I did therapy and I kept asking my therapist, you know, like, why now? Why is this happening now to me? I just, you know, for me, it, significance is so important. I couldn't triangulate why this was happening to me now. And I remember, her telling me, 
think about it. She's like, everything you just told me, you are at your strongest now. It's probably because you are at your strongest that this could happen now, that you can actually get past it and you can move it and you can accept it. And I, and I, I honestly, I took that to heart and I, and I, it really made me realize that yes, I had found my balance. It had taken me years. I, I think my entire life I was off balance. I was like either too skewed in work or too skewed, you know, in one way or the other. And I finally found this balance in my life that I was able to deal with that type of pain and, you know, focus on all the things that I had to, I had to focus on my kids. I had to focus on my husband. I had to focus on my career. I had to get us back together. And, um, and I shared that with my team so that they could take some of these, you know, um, insights uh, back with them. And they could also realize that things are going to happen to you that you just can't control. But if you realize that they're not completely bad or they're not completely good, you're going to take a learning lesson out of it. And there, there really aren't any failures. There's just, in my point of view, learning lessons. Unless you truly don't learn anything out of it, then that's probably a failure. But I, I genuinely believe, you know, things happened. You've got to learn to to accept it and, and you've got to learn to move on. And so shared that story as, as hard as it was, because that had been a learning year for me, you know, learning how to be resilient and to come back after losing, you know, someone who's so dear to you. Well, it sounds like you have an incredible resilience and ability to recover because that just describing everything you described, I've been paying for you. Um, <laughs> especially as oh, a new, it, it, a the new resilience mom sounds and, easier than, than it is. I'll I know honest, it wasn't, it wasn't easy. No, wasn't no, no. Easy. I, there's no, there's no part of me that thinks it was, but the fact that you came back from it, um, and have that depth of view is, is just credits to your strength. So thank you for sharing that. So before we wrap, uh, would love to get from you the two questions I ask all my guests. What is one thing we would be surprised to know about you? Probably that I've lived in 13 countries. Um, So I have considered myself a a kind of global mutt, um, and it's been really hard for me to settle anywhere. And the only reason I think we've we've finally settled in LA, I will be really honest, is because of my children. But I have this this profound passion to just, you know, immerse myself in different places, culture, people. I've always, I think I've always had that in me. And so uh, this has been the longest we've actually ever stayed in one one city is has been LA. Almost every two to three years I have been moving my entire life. Um, and it's been it's been tough you know, but it's been something that has made me, I think, just more um, aware of where people are coming from and just more empathic that there are, you know, so many nuances in how people behave and what they say versus what they do. And, you know, having lived in so many different countries, it's made me really, really understand and be able to almost translate what people actually want to say, even when they don't say it. Um, so yeah, that is something that not many people know. I love it. And my last question for you is, do you have any other advice? You've given so much advice during this episode that you want to impart that either someone gave to you or you learned the hard way that you want to share. You know, I, I think what I think about is, you know, what to give other leaders to achieve success, you know, in their career, to me, there are three or four simple things. You know, the first one is find your inspirers. I mean, you know, I joke with with my boss also that I need to be inspired. And he goes, we need to inspire the inspirer. And I'm like, yes, exactly. And I think we all do. And I was very lucky growing up 
that um, I had so many female powerhouse women in my immediate family to look at. My mom, you know, was the first female chartered accountant in Pakistan. I'm, I'm originally from Pakistan. And she, you know, grew up studying with just men. And it was really tough. And they would jokingly tell her like, you know, we can't keep the men away from you, but we're going to keep you away from the men. And they would literally segregate her and separate her. And to this day, like she does not recognize all the men who were with her, but they all know who she was because she was a single woman uh, studying and doing her chartered accountancy at that time. And, you know, my aunts, my my mom's sisters, they were all similar. We have like my, my aunt who sadly passed away, you know, during COVID. She was the first female kidney specialist or nephrologist in Pakistan. She was also a brigadier in, in the army. Um, and, you know, uh, my other aunt, she's like a PhD in finance. I have one who's a founder of an, you know, underprivileged school. So all of them have been just such exceptional, you know, powerhouse female leaders in my immediate family. And for me, it was so important to, to see women do things that just wasn't happening at that time or was maybe not even acceptable at that time and set their own, you know, path. And, and my grandmother, kudos to her because she opened that door. And even to me, you know, she was like, you can do whatever you want to do. Don't let anyone curtail your vision for yourself. And that is the biggest advice I give, you know, to, to other leaders and, and female leaders is to find your true inspirers. Um, the other one I, I give, you know, and I, I kind of alluded to this as well, but a lot about a lot, we have, we all have inner demons, you know, we all come in with like certain thoughts, like we can't do this, we can't do that. And I still have friends who will, who will like second guess themselves. And I'm like, just go for it. Like, you know, it may seem like there's going to be more work and more pressure and like that, you know, yes, you have kids right now, but you will realize that you will prioritize and you will be able to take that role and you will be able to do it even with your kids. And you will not sacrifice the moments that matter in your kid's life. Like you can do it, you know, but we have inner demons. And I, I really caution people, don't let those inner demons get in the way of your career that I can't do this. You know, be open to your partner about the support you need. My my husband has, I mean, God bless this man, has single-handedly with every career move I've made always been the helping hand, you know, and he has never shied away from it. And, you know, there are times when I'd had to like, you know, change my career path because he wanted to do something. And so we've always tried to do what's best for the family, but he has really supported me. And I think finding the right supporting partner is such a key to, you know, your success. I think we used to always say behind every great man, there's a woman. But now I do think behind every great woman, there's a man. Like it's, it's, it's mutual. It should be both ways. It shouldn't just be one way anymore. And I think that duality is, is so, so, so key. And then the last thing is, you know, I think for women, there are two things we, we all don't do well enough. And I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of judge everybody universally. There are very few I've seen do this is number one, we just don't mentor you know, and network the the way that men do, you know, we will skip out on the happy hour, we will say, oh, I gotta go go back for the kids, or, oh, my God, do I really need to be this person now? Change that mindset. Networking is the key to success in life. You just don't know who you're going to meet when, who's going to connect you to who, um, how you're going to connect to the other thing, you know, and those networks and relationships and mentoring advice is so key. I have saved myself from making severe career mistakes. Uh, just by reaching out to mentors. I have made big career mistakes by not reaching out to my mentors. I've done it both. And I kept telling myself, why didn't I just reach out to my mentor? I made this like career mistake. I, you know, like I was in Singapore. I shouldn't have come back. I would have gotten the contacts. I didn't contact this person. 
So all I will tell you is like, make that time for that network, make that time for that mentoring uh, session. It does make a very, very, uh, you know, big, big difference. And I think we just underplay it. We just feel like mentoring and networking is, you know, it's a nice to have, it's not a must have. I think it's a total must have. And the second thing is, as women, you know, we tend to wait for it to happen to us. And I think the, you know, yes, there are certain times we're going to have to wait it out. But I think the real nuance is be really clear what your expectations are. Um, Your manager, your boss is not going to ever be a mind reader. They don't know what you want, you know? So the career pathing starts from you. It starts from the individual. Like, what's your career vision? What do you want to do next? And set up those expectations clear. You know, when I came in at at Thrive, I was not the CML. I came in as SVP uh, for marketing. And I was, you know basically building the whole brand side. There wasn't a brand or comm side. None of it really existed. So I had to really build all of that and like spend some time understanding how to like elevate the creative and the content. And I knew I would have my arms full, but I was very clear with with my manager that I see a career path for myself to be CMO. That's really important for me. And we both set expectations on like, what are the deliverables and expectations he had for me And, you know, I remember asking him, like, how much time do you think it's going to take me to deliver all this? And he said, I don't know. It's really up to you, but probably a year. Guess what? Within six months, I had delivered all of those things that we had set out when I started. And so I went back and I circled back with him and I said, look, here we are. This has happened sooner than either of us thought. And his first question to me was, are you ready? Are you ready? And I love that. I was like, wow, he's asking me if I'm ready. And I said, I am ready. Let's go for it. And uh, and I got promoted, you know, uh, May of, what was it, 20, uh, 2020. And, and I was CMO and I've been CMO since then. And it was, you know, great for the business, but great for me too. And I think that expectation setting is something we forget to do, you know? So set it up at the upfront, understand what deliverables you need, then circle back and close it out, right? So these are just some tips that I feel like they're in the back of our heads, but we sometimes don't prioritize it. And I think, you know, if I, if I were to tell my younger self what to do different, I would just say network more, spend time with mentors, get the career advice, and also set up expectations and try to meet them as, as quickly as you can, uh, but circle back. And so those are, those are some tangible advice on top of finding, you know, your inspirers and role models to look up to. Your story is incredible. Thank you for sharing it. And um, you are a force to be reckoned with, which is no surprise that uh, you won the awards and accolades that you got. So thank you again, Amina. Thank you so much. I just wanted to thank you guys for listening to today's episode. I also want to ask you to rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. I know it's a pain in the butt, but it actually helps with search and algorithm. So if you love this podcast, it is an easy way to get it more visible and out there. I also want you to follow me on Instagram at Rebecca Minkoff at RM Superwomen and be sure to check out my book, Fearless, The New Rules for Unlocking Creativity, Courage, and Success. Thank you again and you will hear from me next week.